cocktails. 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13. Just put it on the table for me, Doc. Beginning with verse 14. 2 Kings 13, verse 14. I was struggling over this thought the Lord had dropped in my spirit last weekend. I said, God, where, where am I taking this? Where is this going? What are you trying to say? And in our Tuesday night service, when Sister Brandy began to testify, and she began to talk about the pit. The Lord said, pay attention. And he confirmed everything that he's spoken to me through this passage. And I'm going to attempt to deliver it to you today. 2 Kings chapter 13. Verse 14, now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness whereof he died. In other words, this was it. Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance. And the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek. Till thou hast consumed them. And he said take arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel. Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice. And stayed. The man of God was wroth with him. And said thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then hadst thou smitten Syria till thou hadst consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. Today, I want to preach in your hearing for the next few minutes on this thought, the projectile principle. The projectile principle. Would you put your Bibles down and just lift your voices to God right now? And let's ask His his anointing to rest upon His Word today. God, we thank You. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that you've given us to gather together with those of like faith, those who hold dear to precious truth. I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you would speak a word in this place. Mold these lips of clay. Use me, O God, and let the living word preach and issue forth the written word. Open our ears. Open our hearts. Let us receive from you today. And let us not leave this place the same as when we came. But let us be forever changed. And we thank you for these things. And everyone said in Jesus' name. Amen. High five a couple people and tell them I'm going to preach with my pastor today. And then you can be seated. I remember the first time that I came across a bow And a set of arrows. I was dangerous, y'all. More dangerous to myself than I was to anybody else. My mother cleaned houses for a living. And during the summertime, I would go with her to these homes. And there was one home that I loved to go to. It was in an area in our town called Colonial Heights. It's not not the Richmond area, but uh, there in Kingsport, Tennessee... 
And uh, this, this family is a minister in our church. They lived up on top of a mountain. I'm talking when it was wintertime, she didn't clean this house because there wasn't no way to get to the top of the mountain. And I loved going there so much because the husband was a champion bow hunter. I'm talking he hunted with the bow. man never used a rifle in his life. He hunted with the bow. He entered archery contests, had so many trophies he didn't have a place to put them. And in the back of this house up against the tree line, from one end of his property to the other, there was a gallery set up. And he would set his, his deer up there or whatever he was, was going to be hunting for. He'd set it up there. Sometimes we'd set targets up there. And I remember the first time that I got a hold of one of his bows. I was just a little shaver, as Brother Johnson would say at the time. And uh, I, I finally worked it enough to get it pulled all the way back as far as I could get it. I'm not going to stretch anything out here today. As far as I could get it. And I had it back here next to my next to my nose, and I worked hard to get it there. I'm talking this thing was tough to pull back, and I was feeling pretty proud of myself until I let it go, and that booger scraped the side of my face, hit my nose, bounced off my arm. I was hurting. I'm talking as soon as I let it go, I let both hands wide open, and that thing hit the ground. I was scared half to death that I had scratched up his bow. You would think, but being a smart young man, I'd run away from it. But instead, I picked it up again, and I said, let's try that one more time. And so I pulled it back. And I was smart enough this time to keep it away from my face, and I turned my head this way. But I still had my arm too far this direction, and it hit that arm again. I had a bruise like you can't believe all the way down through there. It was too much for me, for, for this small individual to handle and then I got a little brave, and I put an arrow on the end of it, and I lined that thing up, and I got everything ready to go. Everybody's getting nervous. Just don't have a tip on it. I made Brother Bradley make sure. And I lined that thing up, and I pulled her back, and when I let it go, I hadn't pulled back far enough. And the arrow just hung on the end of the string. And I thought, three times the charm. I don't know what I'm doing. And so I put the stuff up until he got home. And when he came in, I asked him, I said, would you show me how to shoot that? <clears throat> of course, I acted like I'd never done anything. I acted like I hadn't had his stuff out already. And he comes out and says, sure. And he takes that quiver of arrows and gets his bow. And he's standing Probably 100 yards. I mean, it was, it was a long, long ways away from that target. And he just pulls that thing back and pop, lets it go. And I look at the other end and shoot, bullseye. Shoot, bullseye. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And all this time, I'd been trying it. And yet I was having a failure. A failure to launch the projectile that I was trying to loose from the bow. It'll be all right. They're going to help me with it. But failure to launch is not just another Hollywood production. It is actually a real-life struggle of young people, most times aged 19 to 28, those who have graduated high school and 
may still be in college or may be out of college and, and yet they lack the tools to make that transition from adolescence to adulthood. While the film may approach the subject matter comedically, the reality of children in this situation is, the, is, is that it is a painful Daily struggle to secure meaning and purpose and relationships and independence in their lives. They are emotionally and financially draining to their parents. I remember the conversation my father had with me when I turned 18. As long as you're in school, we're good. If you're not in college, get out of my house. I did this for 18 years. That's what I signed up for. Now it's time for you to hit the road, Jack. And whenever I decided it was wise for me to start spending a lot of time in the student activity center, what we called the student student union on campus, whenever my wife and I got married, if you look back in the wedding announcement, it says that I was the president of the student union at East Tennessee State University. That was not an organization. That was a building. They called me the president of the student union because I was always there. Playing pool, doing this, doing that, skipping class. And so whenever I lost my full ride scholarship and had to start working, my dad said, guess what, boy? Time for you to get out on your own because you're not in school. But this is a syndrome that causes a lot of people to hang on and we hear the, the, the comedic statement about it all the time about 30 and 40 year olds texting or, or communicating on chat boards from their parents' basement. But it is a, a syndrome that is, is very real. They seemingly have little intrinsic motivation to progress through life and they lack the skills to function independently. And these students, they fail to navigate college and they find themselves back at home out of sync with their peers, and in constant tension within their family. And the consequences often result in substance abuse, depression, low self-esteem, and social anxiety. I submit to you today that in the text that I have read to you, we find Israel experiencing a failure to launch of her own. Elisha. The man of God is sick. The Bible says it is the sickness to which he's going to die from. This is it. These are the last moments. They've called the doctors in and they called the king and said, Look, if you got anything else to say to the man of God, you need to get here now because we don't know if it's moments or if it's days. We don't have any clue how long he's going to be hanging on. And so Elisha, the man of God, is ready To transition. See, he's been through this before. Whenever Elijah was taken away, Elisha was prepared in that moment. Elisha was waiting for that moment because the man of God had told him, if you're with me when I go, you're going to get my mantle. If you're with me when I go, you're going to get the anointing. You're going to get the blessing. You're going to get what God has asked of you. And so Elisha began to understand what it's like to look at this as a moment to step into another realm of ministry. 
He looked at this as an opportunity to step into something new and not to run away from it and not to shy back. However, somewhere along the line, Elisha had done Israel a disservice. And a lot of people don't don't understand where I'm going with this. But when we have an Elijah who finds an Elisha, where is the prophet to take up the mantle of Elisha? Instead, it falls to the king. The king doesn't know how to process this. He doesn't know how to understand it. He don't get it. Because every time he's been in trouble, he's been able to turn to Elisha and say, what does God have to say? And Elisha would tell him and they would do it. And God would come through every time. But yet here is Joash exhibiting an emotional response. Joash has emotionally been hanging out in the basement of the prophet. And he's not willing to move on to the next part of life. He doesn't know what to do because it scares him. And he's afraid of it. And in verse 14 it says that Elisha has fallen sick of the sickness whereof he died. And watch this. Joash the king of Israel. The king. Not, not, not the head of the organization. Not a servant in Elisha's house. The king of all of Israel came down unto him and wept over his face. And began to exclaim, oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, the strength of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. In other words, what are we going to do without you? Where do we go from this point? How do we progress from here? What am I going to do whenever the man of God is not there for me to call upon? What am I going to do when I find myself encompassed with enemies round about me and the man of God is no longer there to tell me what to do. What will I do then? And I ask you today, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when your baby's sick and that fever spikes and you can't get a hold of pastor? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when you get the phone call that your family member has been involved in a tragic accident? What are you going to do? Are you going to hang out in the spiritual basement of those who have tried to to preach to you and to teach to you and to help you to grow and to help you to mature? Are you still going to be hanging out there? Or are you willing to go ahead and begin to do what God has required of you to do, to begin to grow and to begin to launch out into the ministry that God has for you? What are you going to do? What do you do? When the phone call comes in the middle of the night, what do you do? Do you panic? Or do you know who to speak to? Do you panic? Or do you know how to get a hold of God? Does everything that you've learned go out the window? Do you fall apart, King? Joash, do you fall apart? Does every victory and every, every battle that you fought and every victory that God has given you, does it just fade from memory? Do you go running to the feet of the prophet? Or do you know what to do? Elisha's not done teaching. <clears throat> Here's this king. This king who don't bow for anybody. And yet he has fallen on his face 
And he is weeping over the man of God. And Elisha begins to speak in verse 15. And he said unto him, take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands in the king's hands. Brother Luke, come help me. You get to be Joash. All right? You're not a lefty, are you? Okay, we're good. First things first. Hold on, don't stretch out just yet. You're going to shoot me. First things first. The one thing that Joash did know is whatever this man says, I'm going to do. God had proven himself time and time and time again that what the prophet of God says, you need to do it. Even when you don't understand it, even when it don't make sense, if you'll obey, if the man of God is wrong, God's not going to hold you responsible for it if you're obeying what the man of God has told you to do in that instance. And God will still come through for you in spite of the man of God may be wrong. But Elisha had built up enough of a rapport and Elisha had enough of a connection to, to, to God and to the throne to be able to get a word from this king that the king was used to hearing everything that Elisha was going to say. So Elisha said, get you a bow and get you an arrow. Now don't worry about the arrow right now. He's got it. It's imaginary. I don't want him to shoot somebody with a, with a dull tip. And he said, put it in your hands. And then watch what happens. Elisha puts his hands over the hands of the king. Nothing shot. Elisha puts his hands over the hands of the king. Stay right here. What this symbolizes to us that we've got to understand is that when you're in submission, you're not in control. Y'all need to shake the turkey off because that was good right there. When you're in submission, you're not in control anymore, Brother Fred. When I submit myself to what God has said do, whether I understand it, whether my mama understands it, whether my family understands it, if the Word of God says it, I say I'm going to submit myself to it and I'm going to do it. I put myself in submission. The answer in the very beginning of your question is found in obedience. The answer is found in obedience. Elisha's trying to teach a lesson here. He's trying to show the king something. Now, why is he telling him to pick up bows and arrows? That don't make any sense. What, what are we talking about bows and arrows? We're, we're not at war. I'm, I'm here to mourn over you. I'm here to mourn for your sickness. I'm here to pray that God won't take you from us. But Elisha is trying to show Joash something. He's trying to let him see that whenever you're obedient to what God tells you to do, you don't need the hands of the prophet anymore. Because the hand of God is then upon your life. If you will do what God tells you to do, then it's no longer about your strength. Because the bow that you can't pull back, God will say, come on, let's do this thing. The bow that you don't have the strength within yourself to do it, God will say, I've got you. 
even whenever you can't bring yourself to be able to do it, don't go nowhere. If you're really in submission, then God is the one who's in control. Verse 17, watch this. He said, open the window eastward, and he opened it. I like the fact that he pointed it towards the east. Why? Because that's the direction of the sunrise. The east represents newness to us. It represents his mercies that are new every morning. It represents uh, the eastern sky to which he's going to split one day whenever he comes back to receive his people. And we're going to enter into something new all over again. What he was saying here is quit looking back at the past. Quit looking back at everything that you've been through because all you're concerned about is everywhere I've gone, the man of God has gone with me and I don't think I can do this on my own. And Elisha says, open that eastward window because I want to show you that whether I'm here or whether I'm not here, the sun's still coming up. There's still a future for you. And so he tells him, open the window eastward and he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot! And he shot. And he, being Elisha, said, the arrow... Of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. That thou shalt smite the, the, the Syrians in Aphek till thou have consumed them. Now there is a promise that's gone forward here. You're going to smite them until they're consumed. I'm trying to show you how you're going to smite them. Here's the process. And so when Joash doesn't understand. Why you tell me to shoot a, a, an arrow out a window? There ain't nothing out there. I don't see no targets. Why are you telling me to shoot that arrow out there? Thank you. Why are you telling me to shoot that arrow out the window? There's no targets out there. It's still all about obedience. It's still all about God's trying to show him something. And I want you to watch what begins to happen. God gives him a picture of the principle of a projectile. There are three factors, Brother Yuri, that go into every projectile that is launched. Whether it's an arrow, whether it's a stone, whether you're throwing a baseball, a football. There are three very important factors that feed into this principle. And the first is the vertical component. The higher up you are, the higher the point of launch is, the further it's going to travel. Why do you think that deer hunters get in tree stands? It ain't all about being able to see. Because Brother Bradley can get in a tree stand with a bow and arrow. And he can shoot a deer from further away than he could if he's on the ground. Why? Because of the vertical component of a projectile. I'm going somewhere with this. Just hang on. The closer you get to Jesus... The further that you, those things that you try to accomplish are going to go. The closer you get to him, the further away you get from your mess and from your past. And the closer you let him bring you on up to him, the further your efforts are going to go. All of a sudden, instead of just shooting out and trying to hit stuff that's way outside of your range, God says, why don't you come on up here with me? Why why don't you come on up here and look at the vantage point that I'm looking at it from. And now why don't you go ahead and try to take it down. 
The closer that you get to him, the higher you rise in your walk with God, the more, the more progress and the more success that you're going to see in the efforts that you put into ministry, the more success you're going to see in the things that God launches you into. Why? Because there is a vertical component in nature and there is a vertical component in the spirit that says the higher I get in him, the greater distance my effectiveness, the higher that I can go, the greater ability I have to impact my world. Second component is the horizontal component. Horizontal component somewhat mirrors the vertical component in that it's still about height. But if I was standing on the same ground as you and I were trying to shoot something further away from me, If I shoot this direction and I'm straight out, it's never going to make it. But if I need to get a little bit more on it, what do I do? I angle it up. There is a horizontal component to your relationship with God. And there is a horizontal component to the ministry that God wants to do through you. It's not just about you and you alone. But it's about those who are teamed with you. You look at all the old battles that they used to fight when they would bring out the archers. They just have one guy standing out there flinging arrows hoping he could catch everybody in the army. No. They would put those guys out there side by side. And they would spread out for hundreds of yards. And all at once they would pull back and the command would say, Loose! And they would loose those arrows. And the sky would get dark with those arrows. What are you trying to say, Pastor? I'm trying to say this. You may not be able to hit your target on your own. But if you'll join together with a brother or a sister, all of a sudden now you got twice as much the ability to hit that target. And if you join together with somebody else, now all of a sudden we got three times as much uh, the ability to hit that target. And whenever I start getting the whole church involved and I start start linking up with those uh, who are my brothers and sisters in Christ uh, and we start trying to do things for God together, now all of a sudden our effectiveness uh, will literally darken the sky. Uh, The enemy may have a storm uh, going over somebody's life, uh, but now all of a sudden there are arrows in the spirit that are being loosed into that situation and you can be more effective when you join with your brothers and sisters and the final point of this principle is what scientists call it something else but I'm going to dumb it down because I had to dumb it down for myself I had to look it up and define it and then change what I called it I will call it the release velocity. The release velocity. Well, pastor, you know, if you're talking about God using us and and God's launching us out into ministry and whatnot, well, the the release velocity is all up to him. Well, you're kind of right, but you're pretty much all wrong too. Because release velocity is more than just the strength of the person who's pulling back the bow. Release velocity is more than that. Release velocity has everything to do with how far you can pull this back. And the further that I can pull this back, the more velocity is going to be released when I let it go. 
the further I can pull this string in the opposite direction of where I'm trying to get to, my God, the further I can submit myself as the arrow to understand it may feel like I'm not going in the right direction and it may feel like my goal is there and for some reason I keep having to take steps back and it doesn't make any sense. The sooner that I begin to understand that if I submit myself to the plan of the one who's got the bow in his hands, my God in heaven, it's not about God's strength and what God can do many times. Many times uh, the telltale of your struggle and whether or not you're going to get the victory that you deserve is not about God's strength. It's about your, endure, your ability to endure what comes before the victory. I'm preaching good. Y'all haven't figured that out yet, but that's okay. When Sister Brandy started speaking on Tuesday night, and she started talking about the pet, and she said, and I quote, I think, she said, every time I felt like I was going to climb out of it, it just kept going deeper and deeper and deeper. And it got darker. And I felt like I was further away from God than I'd ever been. When you find yourself in that place, and I ain't talking about you've been sinning, you've been doing all this other kind of stuff, and you're ignoring the voice of God. That ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you've been showing up to the house of God. You've been doing everything that you know to do. You're in the house. Your arrow is in the quiver, so to speak. And it feels like everything that you do seems to fall apart, and nothing makes any sense. Sometimes you've just got to understand that this is the storm that comes before my victory. This may be the pit that comes before my victory and and there's something that happens whenever you you latch that arrow onto that string and you begin to pull it backward because that arrow starts here but brother Bradley before it can do any good it's got to go back it has to be pulled backward before it can be loosed forward to reach its potential the pit that you may feel like you're in It can be one of two things for you and it's totally up to you as to what it becomes. It can either become your grave because you quit and you give up and you say, I can't do it anymore. I'm just, I'm going to take myself out of this whole mix. And God's going to have to do what he wants to do through somebody else. He ain't going to do it through me. Because I ain't going to go through the pain. I ain't going to go through the struggle. I'm not going to go through the suffering. If you take yourself off, of God's plan and you you abort the plan and the process of God that pit will become your grave because you ain't ever coming out of it you may feel you may feel free from the burden from the struggle from the stress but that black cloud's always going to be over you because you're going to know that you circumvented the plan of God in your life and you will never reach The destiny that you could have reached. Sure, you can still be in the quiver. And it's nice and comfortable. Because that arrow refused to to go on the bow. That arrow refused to be stretched. That arrow refused to be put through a time of uncertainty. And it may stay in the quiver with all the others. But it's never going to go to where it was intended to go. It can either become your grave. Or it can become your launching pad. Help me out. I'm almost done. 
Y'all don't believe it, I know, but that's okay. I've gotten to where I need to go. The Holy Ghost is in this house today. I want you to understand something. When those astronauts would sit on the space shuttle down at Cape Canaveral or down at Kennedy, they're getting ready to be launched out into space. They're sitting on top of thousands of pounds of fuel. Combustible. I mean, it's like strapping a firecracker to your backside and hoping it projects you forward instead of blowing you up. They're sitting down. They're strapped in on their backs looking up. Equilibrium gets all messed up because it don't feel right. You try it. You try just laying on your back. Today, whenever you go home, let somebody drive. The other person sit in the back seat, just lay down and look straight up. It feels weird. You're going all different directions. If you get motion sickness, don't do it because I ain't paying the cleaning bill in your car. <laughs> They're strapped in. They're sitting on a launch pad. And tension is building. T-minus 24 hours. T-minus 12 hours. T-minus 6 hours. T-minus 3 hours. 2 hours. T-minus 60 minutes. By this time, they're strapped in and they're ready to go. It's an hour before launch. They're checking everything. What's everything look like? Is, is there a possibility that this thing is going to blow up underneath us? You better believe there is. But the risk will never outweigh the reward of where I'm going. Is there a possibility that I may this whole thing may explode on the launch pad and I go nowhere? You're exactly right. There is a possibility. There is a chance. But there's an even greater chance that I'm about to go where few people have ever gone. And I'm about to see things that few people have ever seen. I'm about to see from a perspective that you cannot imagine. And so here they sit. T minus 60. T minus 30 minutes. T minus 20. By now the beads of sweat have begun to, to start up on their upper lip. By now, you know, they, they, they're thinking, man, I should have gone to the bathroom before we got in here. <laughs> T minus 10. Oh, Lord Jesus. Now there's no backing out. There's no way to stop this thing. They're, they're going to send me no matter what I say. No matter what I say into this intercom. No matter what I tell them. No matter. Houston, we got a problem. That don't make no difference. We're getting ready to go. T minus five. Four. T minus three minutes. T minus two minutes. Then we hit T minus 60. And we start hearing it. 59. 58. 57. 56. 55, 54, the anticipation is building so greatly. I want you to understand something in this house today. You may feel like you are stretched to the max as far as you can go. You may feel like you're in a pit of despair that you're never going to come out of. And the tension is getting so hard for you to hold. It's getting almost unbearable for you to do anything with. But I've come to tell you there's a release coming. There's a countdown that's begun in your life. There's something uh, that's getting ready to break free. But here's the deal with the countdown. The tension never lets up until we hit zero. 
See, we like it whenever God gradually brings us out of our stuff. We like it whenever God says, okay, well, we're going to go zero to 60. But we're going to take about 20 minutes to get there. We'll, we'll, we'll slowly speed you up. We'll slowly get you there. If I were to take a poll in this house of how many of you that happened to you that way, there's probably not a person in here that would raise your hand. Almost every one of you, when you saw this gospel, it slapped you upside the face and you said, my God, I've got to do something in my life. It happened in an instant. It happened instantaneously. The same thing will happen with the struggle that you're going through. The same thing will happen with the valley that you find yourself in. The same thing will happen with the pit that you can't seem to dig out of. The same thing will happen when you're feeling the tension and you're feeling the stress and you're feeling the strain. When your enemy's pointing his finger saying you're never going to get out of that thing. In my spirit, I hear the Holy Ghost and he's counting it down. Ten. Oh. I still feel my pain I still feel my struggle but I know something's about to change nine oh I'm getting a little bit nervous God how long do I have to stay in this eight seven six oh we're getting ready to do something here well, pastor I've been sitting on five for five years I've been feeling the same stress and I've been feeling the same strain. I've been feeling the same mess and I'm tired of it. I hear the Holy Ghost in this place speaking into your spirit saying, four. But my kids, they're driving me crazy. I, I can't get them to come to the house of God. What do I have to do? I need something to break free. Three. But everybody at work thinks I'm nuts. What are you doing going to that church with those crazy apostolics? But I keep holding in and they keep beating on me and badgering on me too. And when you get all the way down to one, here's what you're going to discover. Stand with me. When you find your way all the way down to one, here's what's going to happen. One feels the exact same as 10. It don't feel no different. But there's a principle at play. There is a principle of the projectile. There is a principle that says, once we hit the moment of unloose, everything changes. Joe Ash... I want you to look out that east window, boy. And I want you to pull a, an arrow back. And I want you to loose it. And watch what he says about that arrow. He said, it's the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. It's the arrow of deliverance from Syria. It's been in your quiver all along. Your deliverance has been in you. Oh, my God. Your deliverance has been in you all along. Even though you felt like you've been going backwards and you've been going in the wrong direction. Even though you want to go that way and the Holy Ghost keeps pulling you back to teach you this or to teach you that. You've got to understand that it's been residing within you all along. But the question is, will you wait to lift off? Or will you quit in the middle of the countdown? 
Years ago, I was, the, I was the kid when we went to amusement parks that I held everybody's stuff and I waited at the end of the line. I didn't ride that crazy mess. Number one, I was scared half to death of heights and I wasn't in control. I had two issues. <clears throat> I'm a control freak. Sorry. Um, but you know what? I hit a point at 15 years old. Our youth group had gone. We, we were on a youth trip. We were going to New York and Baltimore. We went to help a home missions church and all this. And one of the things we were going to do, we were going to go to Six Flags in Jackson, New Jersey, home of the Great American Scream Machine. And I'll never forget when I got off that bus because we pulled up and I thought, here we go again. I'm going to be the one standing around. I'm going to get sunburned. Everybody else is having a blast and I'm holding on to girls' purses all day long. And something rose up in me and said, well, you big dummy, why don't you just ride? And I made it up in my mind right then. In about a 10-second conversation with myself, I said, I'm going to ride everything in this park today. I, I mean, I even startled myself. I, I thought I wanted to look over my shoulder and say, who was that? Because that wasn't me. But you know what? I did it. I went in there. We were there when they opened the doors, and we were there when they were shooing people out because they were trying to close. We're still trying to ride stuff. But I'll never forget sitting in the front seat of the screen machine as we go up that first hill. Tick, 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 all the way to the top. And then there's a moment of silence. There's a moment of pause because you passed across the point of the clicks. You passed across the point where the chain's dragging you up. Now gravity's taking control. And it turns slightly this way. And all of a sudden, I'm looking down. What looks like, I, it's so far and so steep down, look you're, like you're looking backwards. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm telling y'all, if my buddy were here today, he'd laugh. My best friend growing up was sitting in the seat beside of me. I didn't know there were so many names for God until we got on that, that <laughs> roller coaster together. He started, my dear Lord Jesus, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm, he went through the whole thing. I thought he was going to start talking in tongues. He was so scared. We got off of that thing. And I thought, you know what? That was fun. Why don't we do it again? So we got back in line. And there was another person that didn't really like to ride rides. And I would convinced him. I said, look, I don't ride anything. I just made up my mind I was going to do it today. Why don't you come with me? See, that's what happens. When you get in the plan of God and God starts moving things in your life, you want to bring somebody else along with you. And I said, why don't you come with me? You ride with me. I'll sit with you. Okay, all right, we'll do it. We'll do it. We get all the way to the front. We're going to the front. We're going to the front seat. We want the front car. I want you to see it. I want you to experience it like I did. And he's standing in front of me. We go to get in. I step in, pull the seat down, and I look over, and there's nobody beside of me. Dude stepped in and stepped right through and was heading out the exit. He was done. <laughs> and that's all funny. But how many of us do that? At the point of launch, we've been standing in line. We've been playing the waiting game. We've been at the bottom of the pit for what seems like forever. We have been sitting on the launching pad. And it gets to the moment of the final countdown. And we say, nope, that's it. I'm done. See, that's the last chance your enemy has to get you. Your enemy can only get you off the launch pad whenever your heart's not in it.
Whenever you finally start looking at the pit and start to feel comfortable in the pit, your enemy can get you off of there. But once God begins to loose you, it's done. I feel it in the Holy Ghost today. This is a launching point for this church family. I feel it so strongly. I feel it so strongly. And that countdown that is in my spirit is beginning to build anticipation. Do I feel any different? No. Can I see any difference? No. But there's an anticipation that is beginning to build in my spirit. It will not lessen the stress of my launch pad. It will not lessen the darkness of the mess that I'm in. But I know my deliverance is coming. I know the deliverer is on his way. And I can just hear it in my spirit. Three. It just seems Seems like I've got to hang on. I don't know what's getting ready to happen, but I know something big's around the corner. Two. Oh, God, what have I gotten myself into? I got in this thing, and now I'm sticking with it. One. It still feels the same as it always had, but I know that there's something about to release. Would you just release a praise in this house right now? Hallelujah. Hallelujah! 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 Now if you're in this house and you've been wanting that victory for a long time but it hasn't you've been waiting on this launch and it still feels the same like it always has But you're ready to commit yourself and say, no matter how long i got to sit on this launch pad, I'm here until the release. I'm here until he looses me. I'm going to be a projectile in the hands of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Wherever he wants to send me, I'm going to go. Wherever he wants to loose me to, that's where I'm going to go. And when he needs me, I'm still going to be right here. And I'm going to be hanging in. Are my hands in control of the bow? No. Do I understand where he's sending me? No. But I'm going to hang on. I'm going to sit on this launching pad. I'm going to sit on the launching pad of my dilemma until my release comes. If there's anybody in this house and you're going to claim it today, I want you to get to this altar. Lift your hands in praise and begin to magnify him. Begin to exalt him. Begin to lift him up. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, somebody. Let's just magnify Jesus right now. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Victory is mine. Victory is mine.